Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. I want to tell you, we are ready and fired up for a fabulous show today. Um, You know, one of the things that I know is that I really don't know what I don't know. But I do know about my life experiences. First, let me tell you, I'm going to say hi to Mr. B. Hi, Benny. Howdy. B, how are you today? I'd be good. (laughs) You said come out firing, so there we go. (laughs) God. Or in is your world, my, like pew 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 pew. Is that my pew, Harley pew, pew. Davidson right there that backfired? Man, my, I hope my, so. I hope my, so. My Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah, Harley Davidson. That if you don't get it by the third try, you might as well sit there and blow on the spark plug. Yes, forget about it. Forget yeah, that's about that thing. It. Oh my gosh. But I love my Harleys. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, I love my Harley until I was too sick to ride my Harley. That's what today's show is about. It could be about my Harley, but it really is about me and you, all of you, because we have on this network and have had this for close to 16 years. You all are the folks that drive around in your car. You are independent. You probably do sales or some other thing that you do. Or you're one of those folks that listens to us or downloads or has been doing it for 16 years now. Or you maybe you listen on the Internet. And so many of you have been me been with me along the way. And most of you know that I never really talked about what was going on with my health until one day I decided Dr. Darvish and I are going to let the things crawl out from under a rock. So that we could represent, you know, as somebody that had never been really sick a day in her life, what the heck I was entering. And more importantly, I was always covered by health insurance in my corporate job until I didn't have that corporate job anymore. But what you should know about today is we are bringing somebody on that is going to take us down a pathway education, information, the reality of health and well-being, what it means to us here in the United States, in America, and what it doesn't mean. And when you're listening to conversations about what's healthcare, what's not healthcare, who should get it, who shouldn't get it, how much does it cost, how much doesn't it cost, is there going to be a tax, is there not? I'll tell you one thing from my perspective, and then Dan Bishop is going to tell you from his perspective, because he has got the voter's guide to health care. And it is a nonpartisan. It is candid. It is a rel- a really a beyond a relevant look at politics and healthcare in America. 
It goes beyond all of that. Why? Because unless you yourself have been sick, have had to file bankruptcy, was on the verge of losing your health care for a pre-existing condition, or maybe you have a relative or a parent or a child. Oh, my God, I can't even begin to think about a child. But if you're like me and millions of other people and you don't know what you don't know until your health insurance company says one day, we really can't provide this service to you. Even though you're paying $1,200 a month, Pat, we can't provide this to you. So effective on dot, 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 you are not going to have health insurance. And then something happened. And they couldn't say to me, we're not going to cover you. But what happened? It didn't help me with the tens of thousands of dollars of medical bills. But it did help me. Today, we're digging into this with Den, president of Holmes Murphy, one of the nation's largest employee-owned controlled insurance brokers. And here's the thing. He is somebody that's got a story, too. And when you have a story that nobody that you can think of that's getting on the stage even remotely is listening to, boy, I wonder what kind of bullhorn we need to get. Dad, great to have you. Great to be here, Pat. Um, this is one of these topics. You know, usually I am a student. I, I'm not a broadcaster. I didn't start this 16 years ago because I went to school for it. I was desperate. I was at a really tough place in my life. And six months after I bought a lot of, lot of airtime for a lot of money, I came down with the mystery disease. Mm-hmm. Let's start. From your perspective, when I look at this book, A Voter's Guide to Healthcare, how many people do you think don't even know what they don't know about this? Uh, what's the latest population in the United States? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, it, 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 the the reason that I wrote the book is is really because it health, health insurance in the United States is the most complicated consumer industry in the world. It's been named as such by a company that actually does a, a, a study of, of industries and services around the world. People in the United States with their health insurance, they pay a lot of money, uh, whether it's through their employer or individually or for the, for the unfortunate group of people that have to buy health insurance on their own without a company or government support. Um, it's wildly expensive. Um, every bill in healthcare is a surprise bill because neither the doctor nor the patient knows how it's really going to be covered. And I really wrote the book. What we what we spend in our in our business every day is trying to help employers and their employees and families. And we have a, another business that works with hospitals and insurance companies. I'm just trying to help people navigate this system. And people are really, really, really confused unless they have had an unfortunate. Um, episode. It sounds like you had in your life, and then they, then they get a really hard education on the subject and realize it doesn't work really well. But you know, why is it that there's so much confusion, anger? What, what are some of the other words you use in your book? <laughs> but whatever it is, yeah. Why why isn't as simple as we are human. We need health care. I mean, I'm, 
clearly I'm oversimplifying, right? Yeah, well, or no. Um, <laughs> I, I think it is that sim- simple. It, you know, at its core, it's really hard to imagine um, thinking that in, in ours, the, the greatest economy in the world, that we have about 30 million people um, today who have no health insurance coverage at all. And from a social justice standpoint, mm. that's hard to really reconcile. If you think, as a, whether it's as a mom, a dad, a son, a, a wife, a husband, you know, in any role or just as an individual, um, you don't sleep as well at night knowing that you have no economic protection whatsoever if somebody gets sick. But it's actually, in my mind, the, the, the challenge that's happened in our country is not with that that 30 million who have no insurance. And that, that challenge is very real. Um, yep. the, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, whatever we want right. to call it, yep. extended coverage to about 20 million people. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will say, hey, I love Obamacare or I hate Obamacare, but they really don't know what it is or what it, what it did. Oh. But, but in the end, Obamacare covers about 20 million people who otherwise wouldn't have been covered. It has guaranteed protection um, against pre-existing condition limitations. So, so anybody can have coverage without having to worry about whether they have been sick. Um, and it costs us about $10,000 per person per year to provide that coverage to those, to those 20 million people. That's, that's what Obamacare did, good or bad. That's the reality of who got covered and how much it cost. And, you know, let's can we talk about a couple of misconceptions? Because your book, I mean, this is the easiest way for me to get to the forefront and summarize, you know, the power of the book you wrote. Um, One of the things I was struck by when I went through it is, okay, that's misconception number one. Okay, got it. Misconception number two. Okay, got it. Misconception number three. Got it. Well, why is it that Den Bishop, can write a book, and we have politicians on all sides. uh, And I say all sides because we've got one party called the Republican Party, another party called Democratic Party, then there are other parties out there, and then we have somebody that's not a Democrat running in the Democratic Party, (laughs) which I to this day I don't get. But it doesn't matter. Why is it? that at least if you're on one side of the fence or the other, you can't get this right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're hitting on what I think is the key issue, is that we have unfortunately moved healthcare from being a political topic, which it is. It has to do with the government and people, so it is political. Um, about half the, the healthcare in this country is purchased through the government, government sources, about half of it is through private sources, typically an employer. Sometimes it's just the individual. So we have this, you know, we have two cars on the road. we got a government car on the road, and we've got a private car on the road. And we haven't done a very good job of creating rules of the road so both can be successful. And that creates a lot of this confusion. Uh, so there's a, an awful lot of cost shifting that happens. Um, private insurance, on average in this country, pays 241% of what Medicare pays for the exact same hospital services today. So there's a hidden tax in every, uh, every premium an individual pays, an employer pays, um, because we have this, this, this gap in, in how that's paid. We aren't dealing with some of those basic issues 
of just asking the question, well, well how much of a, a price discrimination between a public program and a private program is okay? And I've been asking audiences a simple question like that. And in today's environment, healthcare, they're private businesses that are, that are in healthcare. And so the debate is, is almost the way it seems in Washington, D.C., is we have a status quo, which is creating a system that people can't afford, or we have a total government solution that says that everything is what the government says is paid is, is all that's paid. I think that there is a wide field of acceptable answers between all government and, and no government, which is kind of the way that uh, the dialogue tries to go, where we could connect the public system together with the private system in a way that, that wouldn't bankrupt our great hospitals in this country. I, I, worry, uh, about, uh, I, I worry about taking too much money too fast that would actually mean we wouldn't have access to the care we need. And I think an example like the coronavirus fear oh, that yeah. we have now, yeah. um, now, now we're all concerned about do the hospitals in this country have adequate access if we all get sick. Um, so it's heightened that if, if all that hospitals got paid was what the government pays, we wouldn't have um, what we have today. Um, because the, med- the average hospital in Medicare today is losing 9.3% on every patient they see. So the government's paying hospitals slightly less than it really costs to see those patients. And then private payers, as I mentioned, are paying 241% of what Medicare is paying. So all of the capacity in the system today is being paid for through the private payers, private insurance. You know, I want to talk with you for a minute because you didn't actually have to write this book. Right. No, nope, I didn't have to. <laughs> you did not. Um, look, 10,000 interviews later, here's the thing I know. Uh, people like you and people like me, there's a story. Yes. And the story hits our heart. You're a successful person in the world. But to write a book like this, something had to hit your heart. I, I know that's what kept me going, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars as an independent broadcaster. It wasn't because I want to hear myself talk. What was it for you that hit your heart? Yeah. So, so for me, um, my, my mother and, um, who is, I I won't, I won't give her age, uh, but I will say she is, (laughs) she is very safely Medicare eligible and, uh, and doing great. Um, she was the first woman in three generations, um, in her side of the family, um, to see her 43rd birthday. Her grandmother, her mother, and her sister had all died of cancer before the age of 43. And my mom was, uh, unfortunately, diagnosed uh, with uh, breast cancer at the age of 43. And so she was selling real estate at the time. And um, so, you know, and, and my dad was, uh, he was a basketball referee and a serial entrepreneur. So they didn't have employer-sponsored coverage. Um, so she and her real estate business just bought individual health insurance. Well, as you can imagine, uh, the, the year was, uh, when she first was diagnosed was 1986. Uh, this was long before the Obamacare preexisting condition protections. And, um, you know, so she at age 43 was diagnosed with, with cancer, had several major surgeries, came through those surgeries. Um, but shortly thereafter, she found herself 
in the position of, of not being able to, to purchase health insurance. And um, so she ended up in, in a high-risk high pool in the state of Texas. And, you know, that, that pool actually worked fine for our family. Um, it, you know, we were able to make that work and navigate it. Um, but it, it took work and, and was there. Not every family was able to navigate some of the, the, the complexities of trying to figure out how a state high-risk pool works because every state was different. And, you know, that, that I guess, was probably my life event that, um, that kind of put me on this path of, of trying to figure out how we really solve these problems. And, you know, there, it wasn't just my family. It's not just your family. Um, you know, there's a, a study that Mayor Pete used in the, the last debate in Iowa, and mm-hmm. uh, Bernie Sanders has actually picked up on it. I've seen him twice in the last week refer to this same study. Mm-hmm. And so I've looked up and, and actually read the study, and I didn't have it in time for the book. I hadn't seen it. Um, but it's 87 million Americans in 2018. These are adult Americans between age 18 and 64. So these are voting age before Medicare. 87 million adult Americans in 2018 were inadequately insured. 87 mm-hmm. million. So let me give you a sense for that. If you yeah. could get that 87 million people to vote for you, you know what they call you? President. That's right. <laughs> Donald Trump had 62 million uh, votes. Th- this would blow away that, that number. And so it's, I think, why the politicians have figured out this is the number one issue for voters because so many people have insurance, but if somebody in their house gets sick, they don't have the money for the deductibles and out-of-pockets because we've had skyrocketing out-of-pocket exposure in recent years, and it simply made care unaffordable even though people might have insurance. And that's where we're starting to see how do we start solving these problems? I, I, I spoke at a, a National Association of Health Underwriters meeting in Washington, D.C. on mm-hmm. Monday of this week, and I challenged that, that industry group with this 87 million person problem. Yeah. Yeah. That the, do, do you know what shocks me about forward. that, Dan? You know, can I, sorry to interrupt. Oh, absolutely. Listen to me on this. <laughs> you, me, and your mom, right? Why would people, first of all, why would people like us, and now you, thank goodness for you, boy, I'll tell you, you're my new best friend. (laughs) Why is it probably your mom and me? Here's what we know. Are you ready for this? This is going to shock everybody, I think. Why is it that that 87 million uninsured why is it only a handful of us know that that number is 11 years old? March 4th of 2009. Now, this is not a yesterday problem. And I'm telling you, I know it's a great number, but I agree with you. If somebody were to pick up on the magnitude of that then, and what has happened now, that number, I guarantee you, would jump significantly. But the point that you're making is this. People get sick. They don't want to be sick, right, Dan? 
Your Correct. mom didn't want to be sick. I didn't want to be sick. No, nobody wants to be sick. Why is this such a hard thing for Americans to grasp when Bernie or other people say it's a human right? I, you know, I think it was Kamala Harris that first said it that way. But what is it about us here that we don't have 87 million times five that are like, yes, it is a human? What, what is holding us back? That, you, you know, unfortunately, I think it's the partisanship. It, it's mm-hmm. having to take our political stance of saying that, you know, okay, if I'm Republican, I want to blame the Democrats. And if I'm a Democrat, I want to ba- blame the Republicans. The, the enemy of the entire healthcare system is disease. It's not the doctors. It's not the hospitals. It's not the insurance companies. It's not even the pharmaceutical companies who are getting a lot of wrath. There are a lot of bad behaviors amongst a lot of stakeholders that need to be changed. But when we try to politicize the problem, instead of work towards a solution, we get in trouble. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll use pharmaceutical industry as an example. So um, in the United States, we have about 4% of the world's population. We account for 42% of the world's pharmaceutical revenue. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, we as Americans are funding um, virtually you know, all the research and development, all those things. So we get worried about if we pull too much money back, we'll lose the great cures that are coming out of the industry. But at the same time, when the drugs are so expensive, people can't afford them, so they don't take them, and they're dying. That is, mm-hmm. that is where we are. So the, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Trump's yeah. appointee, is Alex yeah. Azar. He yeah. came from the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. He, he actually very aggressively wants to rein in the pharmaceutical industry. It's, it's a fascinating thing. His proposal of how to do that was virtually identical to the bill that Nancy Pelosi was able to get through the House last year, late last year. Mm-hmm. And yet there has been no movement, even though Republicans and Democrats, on, on some basic steps to make prescription drugs more affordable in the United States, to get our pricing more on par with some other countries. Um, the Trump administration and Nancy Pelosi agreed, which is shocking to most people, but they didn't get anything done because of their partisanship, which – and that's what I wish yeah. we could yeah. just solve. Yeah. They agree on the problem. They actually agreed on the solution, but didn't get it done. Yeah. You know, it's mind-boggling to me that we have become so politicized about humanity. It, it, it's mind-boggling to me. Uh, and, and for a lot of the same reasons that you're talking about. But, you know, you've done in your book, for those of you just tuning in, I, I, I want to make sure you know that I'm here with Den Bishop. The book is called The Voter's Guide to Healthcare, a nonpartisan candid, candid and relevant look at politics and healthcare in America. And what I love about this book, for all of you listening, is it's not written in a way that you have to have gone to five years of medical school to read it. Everything about what Den put together is easily absorbed, easily to break down, so that if there's not all the information you need in this book, you can Google it. You can Google it and find it. But most importantly, 
it hits on some core issues that we stopped talking about. Um, I want to talk for a minute about Medicaid because you sure. talk about Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So I got on a rant last year. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it was last year. I can't remember if it was last year. I have a whole separate show called Power Up with Dr. Pat where that's the show that I really get on rants with, but I don't do it. And I, I ask tough questions. And one of the, the things that happened, I had somebody call into the show about Medicaid and was like, cut Medicaid. I mean, like that, one of those. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I'm not smart enough about Medicaid. I know what it does. I know that without it, you will have a lot of, forget about opioid addiction. You will have a lot of people not getting any kind of addiction help. help. But here's the thing I did, which I found interesting. I have this other study I was doing, and it was on the deadliest states in the country for women. Mm -hmm. Now, there's an actual report that comes out that says if you are a woman in this state, you're probably likely to get murdered by a man. (laughs) I'm I'm not kidding. (laughs) I've not seen this study. It It was not in the book. (laughs) It's not in the book. But I looked at this and compared it to people that have the availability of Medicaid, the states that support Medicaid, Mm -hmm. the states that support care, health care. Because what we're not getting is that where do people that can't afford it get help for mental issues? Right. Right. Unless you work like I did for the phone company, which is not the phone company anymore. But, you know, it was unless you work for a Microsoft or somebody like that, where their insurance says, yeah, you could go to therapy. Then, Pat, you could go to therapy. Probably after this show, people are going to tell us both to go to therapy. (laughs) Um, But I did this study and what I found was shocking. When we come back from break, I want you to help us connect the dots because unless we can connect the dots in our political arena for people, just right now, like I'm going to do for Pete Buttigieg when I get on social media today and Bernie, but if we can't connect the dots about what you're saying, we're not going to be able to move the needle for people that don't think we need health care here in this country. I can't even imagine what would happen if the coronavirus hits this country in a way that we have never predicted. The measly $2 billion that you're going to throw at hospitals for it already isn't too much. Are we prepared? And will that wake us up to say health care is a humanity issue. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with Dan. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Hey, how's it going? If it's stressful or just plain exhausting, 
New Light Living is here to ask, is this the way you want to live? Join me, your intuitive spiritual life coach and host, Orika Sullivan, every week on New Light Living. Discover the power of creative tools to start living every day as your ideal dream day. See your life in the new light. To learn more, visit newlightliving.com. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www. DivinelyDrivenResults.com. Have you lost a loved one and would desperately love a sign to prove that they are okay? Here's a tip for you. Be curious. Keep an open mind about everything. The proof will come from the most unlikely places. The messages promise to challenge your current beliefs and what you've been taught. Accept and appreciate all, no matter where they come from. I'm Angie Corbett Kuiper. I would love for you to share your signs from beyond on my closed Facebook page, Beyond Grief. Break your snooze button habits for good with the Soul Stretching Sisters on the I Am Power Hour with me, Terry J. Walker. And me, Dr. Pat, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Pump up your spiritual muscle as we share stories. Aspire higher. And live a whole lot larger. To help you unleash your powered up. Pumped up. I am soul stretching success. Anything can happen when we take to the airways. And all things become possible during the I Am Power Hour. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, boy, this is a book you're going to want to get. The Voter's Guide to Healthcare, a nonpartisan candid, relevant look at politics and healthcare in America. But actually, for me, it's way more than that. You know, when I say that I don't don't know what I don't know about this, but I do know what I experienced from being one of the population that Den Bishop talks about, one of those people that never thought in a million years that she wouldn't have healthcare, but didn't, lost my job, but didn't quite, wasn't eligible for Medicare. And here I was, independent in the state of Washington, independent, $1,200 a month for coverage. I was sick. And that helped me pay for some of the bills, but not all of them. So here's what I want to say about this. This is a book for all of us to see what's changed, what's real, what you should know. I want to make sure you go to the website, voter'sguidetohealthcare.com. Let's make sure you go there to do that, number one. And Benny, we have three copies of this book to give away. Let's crank it up now. 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. Uh, Dan, is there another website or social media? Where else can people go? 
You know, the, the book itself is available at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, they can also get it on our, our company's uh, website, HolmesMurphy.com, also has a voter's guide section on it. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I said this before. This is not a book that you had to write. You know, this is a book that you wrote because you know what it's like to watch people really struggle and suffer. That's why I started to talk about it so much is because, you know, unless you go through the maze that is out there for people, you don't even know. And a lot of people don't even know what they're getting, how they could get it, how much they pay for it. The minute you go to a hospital, you don't have any idea what's going to happen when you come out. Um, I would like to know from you, there's so much in your book. But there are clearly some things in here that we don't know what we don't know about, except that you're bringing them to the forefront. Can you kind of give us your top of the list items? Sure. Uh, you know, my, my number one would be related to cost and the, the total cost of health insurance for somebody who was working uh, last year had family coverage. Let's say there's a, a mom, a dad, a couple of kids, and a, a what you, what you'd say the you know the normal what you'd say run of the mill. If you were going to say what's the most common, so a family of four, that uh, two adults, two kids, and uh, the the all in cost of healthcare last year for that family on average was a little over twenty eight thousand mm. dollars. Now. Part of that's paid by the employer, part of that's paid in deductibles, co-pays, part of it's paid per paycheck. But if you put it all together, it was $28,000 last year. Median household income in the United States was about $61,000. So you start to see the threat that healthcare really has. And you know, a lot of the debate is about whether we have a single-payer system. And the way I tell people is what people really want is an other-payer system. I just want somebody else to to pay this bill, and unfortunately, um, that's not the way reality works. Either somebody, an employer, a taxpayer, or an individual, somebody has to fund this. We've got to find a way to actually lower the cost of health care. If we can't lower the cost of health care, then we can't lower the cost of insurance. We could just shift it around, but whether you pay it per paycheck or, or in tax, if we don't lower the cost, the cost is going to be the same. So we have to lower the cost. Um, but we have to do that in a, very, um, in a very specific way so we don't ruin access. Um, there's this challenge that, that hospitals have in rural America right now that's becoming um, newsworthy, and these rural hospitals are having a hard time staying open. And the reason they're having a hard time staying open is most of their care is delivered to people who have government sources of health care. They don't adequately pay. So we've got to find a way to lower cost without putting hospitals and physicians and others out of business. That would be our, our worst-case scenario. I'll go to a second statistic, and it's, it's the cover of the book, and it's what I call the T-Rex effect. And so if, you, if your listeners will think in their mind about a Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, think of your Jurassic Park movies or cartoons or other things, their, their defining physical characteristic was their T-Rex arms, right? Really short arms. And so uh, the, the imagery that I want to paint is that there's a button on the wall, and 
if the T-Rex can hit that button, they survive. But we all know T-Rexes are, are, are extinct, yeah. um, except <laughs> in movies. Um, so the, the button was right there, but the T-Rex just couldn't reach it. And to me, that's healthcare in America. I believe we have the best doctors and the best hospitals in the world. Um, I am convinced that, that my mom, who's a three-time cancer survivor, would not be with us if it wasn't for the great doctors, the great technology, uh, the great hospitals, that, then the care she was able to get. Mick Jagger had major heart surgery last year. He didn't fly back to London to get that service. He flew to New York. Well, if we've got such bad health care, why would people uh, around the world come here? It's because we have the best that's there. But the system is not working. And there's a study that showed that for, for things that could have been found and cured in the healthcare system, so there was a cure available, people in the United States actually die at a 58% higher rate than other economically developed countries. So even though the care is available, um, our hospitals operate at a 62% occupancy rate. We have capacity, but that capacity is not being utilized so people aren't getting the treatments, they're not getting the diagnosis, they're not taking the medicines, and, and Americans are literally dying at a faster rate than other people in the world for things that we could cure. Yeah. And that's where we need to turn our focus. And I believe that the reason that that's happening, it's not the government's fault, it's not insurance companies' fault, it's, not, it's nobody's fault, it's the result of all of it. It's because it's so expensive. So people say, ah, I'm afraid I can't afford my deductible, so I'm not going to go get this checked out. I think it'll be okay. Or that medicine was too expensive. I couldn't afford that. Or I didn't know where to go. It was really complicated. We've got to simplify. We've got to lower cost. And we've got to look politically at answers to those those challenges. And, and so one of the answers is is – uh, Senator Sanders' Medicare for All. And what yeah. I've been trying to educate people and help them understand, um, because what we're seeing in polling is that young people, voters age 18 to 29, are are wildly in favor of Senator Sanders. In, in Iowa, he received 50, uh, 49% of that vote, but he received less than 9% of the Medicare-eligible 65-year-olds. So why is that? And, 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 and this is the secret and kind of what politicians don't want us, or maybe I think they don't want voters to know. Medicare for all actually abolishes Medicare, yeah. which is shocking to some people. Um, but, yeah. but in Medicare today is a public-private partnership. Eighty percent of the people on Medicare, and Medicare is very popular, 80 percent of the people on Medicare have some type of private insurance. So it is truly we, – we kind of take the best of private and the best of public, and we put it together in this thing called Medicare, and it's, it's reasonably working. I think some of the good advances that we're having are in Medicare. But the Medicare for all solution that's being promoted actually abolishes that entire system and changes it. It's, it's identity theft of the name Medicare. And I think yeah. voters, voters need to figure out – Okay, how do we solve the problem? We've got a cost problem. We've got a coverage problem. Um, we've got a Medicare for all. And it's interesting that uh, Kamala Harris, you you'd mentioned her a few minutes yeah. ago, 
she originally was a co-sponsor of Senator Sanders' bill in the last legislative session. So she was on board with his single-payer Medicare for All solution. She actually, before she left the race, she had pivoted and left that stance, and she had actually moved to a, wait a minute, I actually think expansion of what is Medicare today, the choice that's available to people in Medicare probably makes more sense. What if we just kept Medicare as of today and expanded that to everyone? So she had actually moved to a true Medicare as it exists today for all platform, but but she was uh, you know, eliminated from the race rather early. Yep. There's yep. no one in the campaign that actually has that stance now. Yeah, not a single person. And you know what I find funny about that is that, and probably not so funny about that, is the conversation of how things have shifted. Uh, And, you know, here's the thing that bothers me. We should be looking at things right now that are important to us in this country. I'm not talking about what party you belong to or not. You know, once upon a time, the opioid crisis was a thing. It's not anymore. Um, You know, once upon a time, uh, women having equal rights was a thing. We still don't have an equal rights amendment, right? Correct. Once upon a time, people in debates talked about LGBTQ. Guess what? Not a single debate, 10 hours of debates, hours of debate. Nobody's asking about that. And I often wonder why, but I think I know the answer. So here we are having a debate about something and, and the focus of something that nobody can really sit down and provide the kind of information you've done in your book, right? It, um, they're not dealing with the core issues. It's mind-boggling. I, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I wonder why it's almost as if politics has become a reality show to me. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where we were split. Uh, Mama's the Democrat, Papa's the Republican. So, I mean, you can imagine what holidays were like, right? But the point is this. We are not bringing real information forward to the public. And when we do, some social media post negates it. For example, that 87 million that... Somebody must have found for Buttigieg, but forgot to look at when that data was generated. Mm -hmm. I guess. uh, uh, And not talking about how the solution will unfold and who are all the people it will protect. You see, isn't that interesting? We're not talking about protecting people from what? Bankruptcy? Uh, dying in hospitals, that's a reality, right? Dying in your home, uh, not being able to get even the simplest of medication. But how do we get there? I want to ask you, Den, I know we've got 10 minutes left. How do we get there? I want to know from your perspective how we get there because I'm all about a solution. So so here's my, my, and, and, you know, I'm able to say what I say because I'm not running for office. (laughs) I'm not trying to get anybody's vote. I just want to get this right. Um, So I would love to influence politicians as best I could. And I've been in Washington, D.C. twice in the last two weeks. Um, You know, so 
I look at it and I say, okay, I, I take the Medicare for all that, that Senator Sanders, why don't I, you know, and I don't support that approach. Why don't I support that? My fear with that is that, yes, it would cover everyone for insurance, but if we paid every doctor, every hospital what Medicare pays, which that program would do, we lose access to the doctors and hospitals. There, the healthcare is the number one employer in this industry. More people work in healthcare than in any other industry. It used to be retail. Back in the heyday of the mall, <laughs> it was retail. There are actually now more people that work in healthcare than any other industry. And that takes a lot of money. We need to slow down that money, but we can't cut it off. If we cut it off, I think we lose too many jobs, too many hospitals, and we would lose access to the best care. So we've got to find a way to slow it down, but not cut it off. And so my approach to that is what, I, what I've now been calling in, in the book, I, 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 my first thing is to sustain Medicare. We need to adequately finance and keep the Medicare program as it, as it is operating today, we need to adequately finance that program. It's scheduled to become insolvent, the trust fund, in 2026. So if somebody new goes into president, you know, wins this election, that same person, if they win two terms, they will be that. So we need to sustain Medicare. But it's not only that, we need to connect to Medicare. Medicare is doing some great things in the quality area. Some of their initiatives around direct primary care and accountable care organizations. And they've got other things. And what they're really trying to do is move decision-making from insurance companies to doctors. And I think most Americans would go, that's a great idea. And it is a great idea. And Medicare is working that way. So why wouldn't we connect what the private insurance is doing the same way Medicare is doing it? Let's empower doctors to make healthcare decisions move that authority there and away from third-party insurance companies, just the way Medicare is doing that. Why don't we connect what everyone else pays to what Medicare pays? It's not going to be the same amount. But what if we had a balanced billing limit? Uh, Mayor Pete has, in his proposal, a, a balanced billing limit of two times Medicare that basically he says if somebody doesn't accept the Medicare reimbursement, um, that's fine. It's private business. But the maximum you could charge anybody would be two times what Medicare pays for any out-of-network, non-contracted service. And I think most Americans would look at that and say, that seems pretty reasonable. It's, you know, it's 100% markup is basically what that is. But in today, there's a, there's a hospital here in Dallas that for, uh, for a knee replacement is charging patients 15 times what Medicare yeah. Pays. And, and yeah. that's legal. So yeah. if we connected to Medicare's quality, if we connected to Medicare's pricing in, a, in, a, in an indexing way, so you knew what you were going to pay, everybody knew what they were going to pay, then that would allow us to do three things. And the three important things that I think this connection to Medicare, without creating a new entitlement program, because I'm also worried about the federal debt and deficit. And healthcare is the number one driver of the debt and the deficit. So expanding that is, I, I've, I've got kids and I don't want to give them that burden. I think we need to handle this responsibly, and I think we can. So if we connect to Medicare, we could protect access. That's access to insurance. That's protection of pre-existing conditions. But it also has enough money in the system. 
to keep the doctors and the hospitals operating at the level that we're used to. We can protect the access. We can cover everyone. If we simply look at who doesn't have insurance, it is not that hard to plug the gaps. I'll give you an example of how we could take yeah, care of yeah, over please. half yeah, right let's now. Let's talk about it. Yep. All right. So Medicaid, use, use Medicaid as an example. Yes. Over 25% of the population that has no health insurance today is eligible for Medicaid. Yep. Free coverage. So if someone showed up at a hospital, showed up at a doctor's office, and needed care and eligible for Medicaid, I would force them to sign up immediately for Medicaid. We have an organized system of care that will pay their bills. But if we don't force them to sign up, then the hospital gets you know, no reimbursement. There's no organized system of care. And the person goes home or goes wherever, or, and, and they show up back at the emergency room two or three weeks later because they had no organized system of care. Medicaid is available for free to the participant, and we've got that. That's over 25% of our uninsured population is eligible for Medicaid today. That's number one. Number two is Obamacare. So there's over 25% of the uninsured population that's eligible for an Obamacare plan and Obamacare subsidy. Obamacare, yep. on average, covers 87% of the bill this year. 87% yep. of the premium is covered by taxpayers on your behalf if you qualify for a subsidy. If all we did is forced everyone who's eligible for Medicaid that they have to take it or they don't get care, in Texas we call that tough love, but it truly is caring for that person. And if we said if you showed up for care and you're eligible for an Obamacare subsidy where taxpayers are going to pay 87% of the premium, then you have to take it. If we just did those two things, that eliminates over half of the uninsured people in this country today. And then we've got states like Texas that didn't expand Medicaid. So we leave the, we leave the most vulnerable in our state unprotected for health insurance. That's oh, a tough yeah. one to swallow. Yeah, we, that need, is. we need to get regulatory resolution so that the states that haven't expanded, we find a compromise so that the states and the federal governments can agree to cover those individuals. If we do that, now we've covered 70% of the people who don't have insurance. It, does, it doesn't take a massive rework of the entire economic system of healthcare in this country just to get everybody covered. We can do it. We just have to exhibit a little of, again, what I call a little tough love. If somebody else will pay the bill or most of the bill for you, you kind of have to take it. And, 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 and that's where I would go. Healthcare can't be a right and a choice. It is one or the other. And we, and we have to decide whether people have the choice to not take coverage. That was a hard one politically for people to get their arms around, but I think that's the key question. I think it is the key question. Um, and I think it's one of those questions where I started the show out by saying, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I still don't. And part of the issue really is right now, there's so much rhetoric and not the kind of detail you put in your book that hopefully somebody stops it and says, can we just stop crazy town right now and talk about the issues? Can, can we just do that? You know, to have a debate the other day that did nothing but attack each other 
and not give us as Americans who are undecided where we want to go, what we want to do, or how to talk about the issues you just talked about, it really is literally crazy town for people that are trying to do the right thing. Correct. And I think that what you're talking about in your book and doing these interviews is saying, wait a minute, let me give you a few things to talk about. Why don't we talk to the bankrupt, the people that had to declare bankruptcy and the shame around that because you're too sick and you have no other alternative and you're never, ever going to be able to pay those medical bills. I don't care. Unless you are a billionaire, that's not going to happen. But there is a sense of shame right now yes. around being sick. And that is a shame to me. It's, if, you, if you think about, um, and it's what I, 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 going back to the T-Rex, this button on the wall, every mm -hmm. decision that we make in healthcare, you know, as, as someone who advises with, with hospitals, with insurance companies, and with employers in different, in different ways, in different businesses, every decision that we make, either builds a ramp so people can get the care they need or it builds mm -hmm. a hurdle that puts in a way keeping them away from the carriers the care that they need if we as as a healthcare industry could work together and take to the politicians because I'm not convinced they're going to get to it on their own no i agree a way for us to proactively connect the at risk patients with the care they need in an affordable way that's mm -hmm. the greatest good of health insurance and I believe the hospitals, the insurance companies, the employers who are paying for most of this mm -hmm. have to start coming up with solutions and take those solutions to the politicians rather than waiting on these political fights to solve yeah. what is a, a problem that, that you are exactly right. It's the number one reason yep. families in this country file for bankruptcy. We exactly. should not have to have that. Let's end the show on that note. Because that is something that even somebody like me, who had a full-time job, who literally understood how to make money, found herself in a situation that was unbelievable in this country. I want to thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Benny, thank you for pushing all the right buttons. Dan, keep rocking on. Thank you very much. All right. What a great interview. Hey, everybody. We're going to be doing up a follow-up interview on this on Power Up. Thank you so much for tuning us in and turning us on. We'll see you next time. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.